Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. All right, welcome back, everybody. We have returned. This is the podcast where TLDR does not apply and the study of history is a way of life. It is also the podcast where democracy goes to die. Some people are going to be unprepared for that remark. Maybe this is the first episode. You're cruising into it and you're listening to it for the first time and you're like, oh my gosh, what's this guy talking about? This is a podcast where democracy goes to die. How dare you? How dare you say that? Yeah, I know. Uh, I am actually going to talk about that on this episode, uh, believe it or not. We are going to get into a little bit of that and this episode was inspired by or prompted by a listener to the podcast who was kind enough to leave a review on the podcast and offer up some suggestions of what they would like to see more of on this show, on the study group, so to speak. And in true Letters from Our Founding Fathers fashion, I'm going to read at least a portion of this review on this podcast and bring their suggestions on here. We're going to talk about that. And uh, instead of covering the letters, we're going to cover that. And we're actually going to get into uh, some writings from John Adams, but we're going to deviate from Dr. Franklin temporarily. And we're going to go back to John Adams because he speaks best about this, I think. I've always liked what John Adams has to say about this. He's very articulate, very straightforward. Now, before I get into that, I do want to make mention of the next episode of the podcast. I think the next episode is actually going to be an off-topic episode, uh, or off the letters anyway. And I'm going to go. I'm going to return to Veterans Day. There was something I was I was talking to somebody about Veterans Day not long ago. It's kind of the darker side of Veterans Day. Things I, things that I think about on Veterans Day that are not exactly happy happy stuff. You know, like um, thinking about the the honor and the character of our our soldiers in the military who do such a good job at what they do, maintaining the integrity of that institution. There's a lot of really interesting stories that have happened throughout this country's history as it pertains to the military. I mentioned one of those briefly, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about it on the next episode, because uh, some people might want to know a little bit about that. And what what am I talking about with that the last few days of World War One? What happened in the last few days of World War One? Why am I why am I so angry about that? Why do I call World War 1 the the useless war, the pointless war? I'll talk about that a little bit. And yeah, it does have something to do with Veterans Day. And somebody might ask the question, what in the world does this have to do with the Founding Fathers? You would be surprised. I and I will thread that needle on the on the next episode. I'm not going to do it now, but I I will talk about it on the next episode of the podcast and you'll you'll understand hopefully by the end of that episode exactly what relation it has to the Founding Fathers. So, let's read this review that a uh, listener left on the podcast. And the name that was left on this review is a little bit difficult. It's just a series of letters, uh, seemingly at random. Uh, the last three letters of the of the reviewer's name is SMS, so that's what I'm going to call them, SMS. Hopefully they don't mind I do that, because I don't have another name. So, SMS leaves a review, and I quote, I really enjoy this content. I originally was wanting to know more about the Revolutionary War when I came across this podcast. This is far better than anything I was expecting to find. Roman does a good job of reading and dissecting exactly what our Founding Fathers said and believed, end quote. And there's more to it I'm going to finish here in a second, but I want to address that. Yes, I'm glad that you found that this podcast is definitely much more than just a story of the Revolutionary War. We're definitely going to talk a lot about that, and we already have. I mean, we're talking about the build-up to the war. 
right now. But we are going to go a lot more in depth, obviously, than just the war. Eventually, we're going to talk about the Constitution. We're going to talk about, of course, the Articles of Confederation before that. We're going to talk about the War of 1812. That'll be interesting. And then we're going to talk about some of the some of the things that happened after the War of 1812. And we're going to talk about various topics along the way that we're going to break off into separate episodes specifically about that topic. We've done a little bit of that already, and some of those are mentioned here in the review. And I'm going to continue reading this uh, this review so we can talk about that, because this is, again, the inspiration for this episode of the podcast. Continuing on, I quote, Roman, things I want to hear more about. What the Founding Fathers said and how they viewed, one, democracy, a.k.a. tyranny, two, well-regulated militia, three, free speech, four, personalities of the states, five, slavery, six, power in the states versus power in the central government. I know there are more things, but that's all I can think of as of now. Keep them coming, end quote. And we will keep them coming. But yeah, those are all really great topics. And I picked one of those to talk about on this episode in order to address that review. So in case you're curious, you know, if you can influence some of the material when we cover it on this podcast, you certainly can. Because sometimes I'll see something in a review and I'll be like, yeah, let's let's actually talk about that now. Let's not wait. Let's let's talk about it today. Instead of talking about it, you know, in a month or two months or a year or whatever. So going over those again, democracy, a.k.a. tyranny, I think perhaps he gets that from, because I've said it a lot on this podcast, that democracy is essentially tyranny. And that strikes, that that is so different than what everybody else says in society, in popular media and politics, right? You'll hear the media constantly talk about, you know, this as a democracy, that is to say the United States. You'll hear the politicians say, you know, we, we love our democracy, you know, and the uh, we got to save our democracy. We got to protect our democracy, blah, 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 blah. And what the heck is Roman saying that democracy is basically tyranny? What's he saying that for? Well, we're going to talk about that today. Uh, the second one was well-regulated militia. We have covered that at some length. Uh, perhaps this reviewer just wants to hear a little bit more about that, but there are two episodes out there right now titled A Well-Regulated Militia. I think episode 13 was one. I forget what the other numbered episode was. Those are actually some of the more popular episodes on this podcast, some of the most downloaded episodes of the podcast, and for good reason. It's, it's, a, it's a topic that's very confusing today. There's a lot of weird information out there about the well-regulated militia, more specifically, and that's my, my reference, basically, to the Second Amendment. A lot of confusion about it because there's a lot of talk about it in popular culture and in politics, so I try to cut through the noise and talk about what the Founding Fathers said about it, strictly what they were talking about at the time. What's their frame of reference for the well-regulated militia. What did it mean to them specifically? Because they're the ones who wrote the Constitution. They're the ones who passed the Bill of Rights, who wanted it, who voted on it in some cases, and who supported it and saw it put into the Constitution permanently. They must have had some idea what, what they meant by that, and they did, of course, and we talk about that. Well, there is a third episode. I've mentioned this a few. I, think I mentioned this quite a few episodes ago. There is a third episode of Well-Regulated Militia that is on the way. I've already got most of the material set aside for that to talk about, and it's going to be a very good discussion. It's going to be different than the prior two episodes. I wouldn't just rehash exactly what I said before. There's going to be some overlap, and it's going to be the same general idea, but I will have some new material for that, so stay tuned for that. So number three on their list was free speech. And of course, we will be talking a lot about that. That's going to, I've talked about that some already. The biggest discussion about that is probably going to be had when we talk about the Constitution of the United States because of the First Amendment. 
and everything that surrounds that. That's uh, most commonly what people think of when they think of free speech in this country, perhaps, is the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. And rightfully so. It's very important. So definitely we will be getting more into that. Uh, number four on their list was personalities of the states. Yes, we talked about that very briefly. There was one episode that was done somewhat about that. It was called uh, Boston is Better, I think is the name of the podcast. It was about John Adams traveling from Boston out to Philadelphia for the convention. Or more, not the convention, forgive me, but the um, the Congress. I'm thinking constitutional convention later on, but yeah, for the Congress in Philadelphia. And he traveled out there, and he had some commentary about what Philadelphia was like. And he didn't like it as much as he liked Boston. He had some thought about that. And I, I talked about the context around that. Like, the states have personalities. At the time, Philadelphia had a personality to it. And so did Boston. And they were different. They were very different personalities. And that is perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that. The United States has never been and never should be one big, homogenous, bland, boring, same thing from coast to coast, border to border, from state to state. It should never be that way. I don't want it to be that way. We should have 50 different personalities in this country. And you have that, for the most part, it's certainly regionally we have it. It's becoming more common, though, for people to think that, well, everything in the United States should just be the same in every state, you know, because... You know, because somebody in Oregon thinks that they like a certain kind of thing, they like to live their life a certain kind of way in Oregon, every other state should be that way too. No, you, you people in Oregon, you live the way you want to live, and let the rest of us live the way we want to live, and shut up. That's my attitude about it. You mind your business, and leave the rest of us alone, and we'll leave you alone. So long as you're not violating any fundamental human rights, you're not murdering people in the street, you're not torturing them, you're not taking away their Bill of Rights, a.k.a. their freedom of speech, their right to assemble, the freedom of press, and so on and so forth. So long as you're not taking any of that stuff away, and you're being a reasonable, rational human being about most things, we're just going to leave you alone. And we would ask that you do the same for us. Just leave us alone. That's, that's, what, that's what I mean, and I think that's what he means by personality of the states, because that's what I've talked about. He's probably just referencing things that I've talked about, and we will talk more about that, by the way. Now, that particular topic, I don't know when I'm going to dive back into the personalities of the states exactly. It kind of comes up in drips and drabs as we go. I don't honestly know if there's going to be a singular podcast episode on the personality of the states, but I probably will do one now, now that this review has been left on the podcast. I'll try to make it a point to reapproach that in some particular kind of way and talk about it a little bit more at length since there seems to be an interest in that. Number five on the list was slavery. Of course we are going to talk about that. That's been uh, something on the back burner for a while that's going to be moved up to the front burner here before too long. I have waited to do that episode mostly because I didn't want to just smack the Founding Fathers upside the head with a 2 by 4 uh, some of the Founding Fathers anyway, and, and start talking about the, uh, the dreaded sin of slavery right out of the gate. Uh, that's something that needs to be talked about very specifically. And it's going to be an episode that's, I mean, if everybody in the United States listened to that episode of the podcast, which is never going to happen, but if they did, it'd probably make about a third of the country very angry uh, listening to that episode that, that I'm going to do on slavery, because it's not going to follow the conventional wisdom of the way that's talked about in this country. What do you, what, Roman, whatever do you mean? What, are you going to be pro-slavery or something? No, of course not. What I mean by that is there is a way that slavery is talked about in this country, and there's a way that it's taught in school, and it's not at all accurate. Not at all. It's talked about mostly in broad strokes and vague ambiguities in such a way that it paints this broad, it paints the country with a broad brush. And this actually ties in very well with the other item on their list, the personalities of the states. 
slavery has a lot to it ties in very interestingly with the personalities amongst the states not every state was a slave state not every government in the united states and there are many governments in the united states people forget that uh, maybe even people overseas in other countries forget that the the united states is made up of many governments plural it's not just one federal government that's the kind of the that's the general government as the founding fathers would call it but it's not the government and of those different states, those different personalities, those different governments, they all had different opinions about slavery. Some really, really seemed to like it. Some really, really seemed to hate it. And those lines at one point in time were drawn north and south for the most part, of course. Here's one of the little inconvenient facts about slavery. As far as I know, based on what I've read, th there were people who fought in the Union Army in the Civil War who owned slaves. I'm not kidding. There were states on the Union side that had the institution of slavery throughout the entire war. Kentucky was not a Confederate state at any point during the war. It had the institution of slavery for the duration of the war. And believe it or not, it had the institution of slavery after the end of the war. Oh my gosh, Roman, how dare you say that? Oh my gosh, that's not what I was taught in high school. Oh, what I was taught in high school is that the Union had no slaves and the Confederacy had slaves and there was lines north and south and blah, blah, blah. Emancipation Proclamation set the slaves free. Well, none of that's true. Oh my gosh, Roman, how dare you say that? No, that's true. It's, it's just not true. Crack open a history book, start reading. Start, you know, start in about 1835 and keep reading until you get past, you know, I don't know, 1868 or so. And then uh, eventually you will figure it out that a lot of this crap that you have been taught about slavery in this country is not true at all. It's a horrible institution. It was a despicable institution. I referenced it previously. Uh, I was quoting Benjamin Franklin, I believe, from one of his letters, and I was co I was contrasting what he was saying politically in that letter with the institution of slavery. Something to the effect of, the devil may make it profitable, but God himself cannot make it honorable. And that sums up the institution of slavery in a single phrase. The devil may make it profitable, but God himself cannot make it honorable. I couldn't have said it better myself. But yeah, there's all kinds of um, misunderstandings about that, about slavery during that time period. Uh, most people don't know about Kentucky because it's not taught uh, in most history classes in this country, as I understand it. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's taught in some, but it's not taught in most. And no, the Emancipation Proclamation did not free the slaves. I mean, how many people run around this country thinking that it did? It did not. Not at all. Uh, it took a little bit more work than that to get it done, and thank goodness it was done eventually. God, Lord knows it took long enough. But, at, you know, at the end of 1865, it was finally done. But I will talk about it, you know, and I'll talk about, you know, what it, what, what it was really to this country. How did, you know, how, how, how does slavery apply to this country? What was it really? And what were, who were the founding fathers around that issue? You know, what did they believe? What didn't they believe in? And obviously, it's a, it's a mixed bag. You got some founding fathers that were in support of it and some that were absolutely not in support of it. Some that fought it quite vigorously. But yes, that topic itself does tie in very well with the uh, the different personalities that the states have. And Kentucky at the time was a profile in contrast. It was a, it was a Union state, but it was very pro-slavery. Uh, unfortunately, it just, uh, it just didn't want to let go of that institution uh, for whatever reason reason, of course, we, we know the answer to that question. Again, that goes right back to the devil may make it profitable, but God himself cannot make it honorable. That's the, like I said, that sums it up better than anything else I can say. And the number six on this list in the in this review was uh, power in the states versus power in the central government. It's a very good discussion to have. I'm glad you mentioned that one because 
that contrast between the federal government and the state governments is a very important story to tell. It oftentimes does not get told enough in this country. A lot of people think that the federal government can just do whatever it wants. Everything should be done at the federal level. Just pass a law at the federal level. Well, here's the problem with that. The Constitution clearly says that if it's not specifically mentioned as an authority of the federal government in the Constitution, the federal government cannot do it. It just can't. A lot more power is left to the states than the federal. And we'll get into that in due time. Believe me, we will get into that. And we're going to, we're going to, I'll probably break out at some point a, a few specific episodes about that. And we are definitely going to get into that at length when we talk about the Constitution of the United States. Because that's a big deal. It is a very big deal. That pretty much sums, I mean, that just that, that one issue, power in the states versus power in the central government, really does define probably about 40 to 50 percent of the problems that we have in this country today as it pertains to government and politics. Just right there, just that one thing right there. If we could knock that issue off and finally resolve it and get it settled according to what the Constitution says, according to what the Founding Fathers wanted to do, this country would be a much better place to live in. I mean, if we could do that today, tomorrow would just be a different, it'd be a different planet practically. So let's talk about democracy. I wanted to talk about this one, number one on, on this person's list, because there's an episode of this podcast I've been meaning to do for a while. I've had some John Adams writings sitting on my desk right next to me for every episode I've done of this podcast, probably the last 10 episodes. And I've been wanting to do an episode on this anyway, so this, this review, I guess, finally prompted me to actually do it. Now, I'm going to start this off by reading a line from John Adams out of a letter that was written by John Adams from Massachusetts, approximately 1814. This letter was written to a Mr. John Taylor. And I'm going to start off reading a little ways down in this letter, and then I'm going to come back to it later as we read the whole passage. But this first line is going to set the tone for everything else that John Adams is going to say. And it's a famous quote from John Adams. So if you ever wondered where this quote comes from, it comes from this letter to Mr. John Taylor. Because some of you are probably going to say, this sounds familiar, I've heard this quote before. Quote, Remember, democracy never lasts long. It soon wastes, exhausts, and murders itself. There never was a democracy yet that did not commit suicide. End quote. One more time, loud and proud. Quote, there never was a democracy yet that did not commit suicide, end quote. Now, does that sound like a form of government that you want to have? I'm just asking the question. You know, when those politicians, those snake oil salesmen, those charlatans, those liars, those thieves, those corrupt lunatics in elected office get up there and start talking about democracy, does this sound like what I'm reading from this letter? Does this sound like a kind of government that you want to have? Just right out of the gate, just that, just those two lines that I read. It sure as crap doesn't sound like any form of government that I want to have. I think we can probably do something smarter than that. And we have. It's called a republic. It's called the United States of America. And if you folks around the world who think that you live in democracies, or in fact do live in something resembling a, more of a democracy than what the United States has, take this as a lesson from Mr. Adams. This is not me. It's very important that I say that. This is not my message. When I say that democracy is tyranny, sometimes people who listen to this podcast will think, and they only listen to one episode, or they only listen for a half an episode, which is probably quite a few people, by the way. They're going to think, I just make this stuff up. You know, who is this Roman guy who says that democracy, this is the podcast where democracy goes to die, and democracy is tyranny? Where does he come up with this crap? Where does he invent this crap? 
What, does he just write this stuff when he's bored on a Friday afternoon? No, I didn't write it. John Adams did. A man who's a heck of a lot smarter than me, and probably a heck of a lot smarter than anybody else in the United States today, which is kind of a sad commentary. We've got 330 million people in this country, and I, I would be willing to bet dollars to donuts that there is not a single human being in this country today smarter than John Adams on these issues. Oh, you'll find some rocket scientist who knows how to build a jet engine. John Adams probably couldn't do that. But when it comes to this kind of thing, that particular individual is probably dumber than a brick compared to John Adams. And what John Adams is talking about here, this is what makes a country work or not. This is what keeps people alive or gets them killed. That's why this is important, in case you're curious. That jet engine that the rocket scientists may build, it's very important in everything. But at the end of the day, the thing that's going to commit us from committing suicide, ritual, suicide in society vis-a-vis -vis our democracy, so to speak, or this supposed democracy that people want to try to create or imagine in this country, John Adams is going to be the one who pulls us back from the edge of the cliff. So let's read Mr. Adams. Quote, Is this fair, sir? Do you deny any one of my facts? I do not say that democracy has been more pernicious on the whole and in the long run than a monarchy or aristocracy. Democracy has never been and never can be so durable as aristocracy or monarchy. But while it lasts, it is more bloody than either. I beseech you, sir, to recollect the time when my three volumes of defense were written and printed in 1786, 1787, and 1788. The history of the universe had not then furnished me with a document. I have since seen an alphabetical dictionary of the names and qualities of persons mangled and bleeding victims of democratic rage and popular fury in France during the despotism of democracy in that country, which Napoleon ought to be immortalized for calling ideology, end quote. It's another one of those moments. Gee, Mr. Adams, tell us how you really feel. Let me read this. Uh, there's a section I'm going to read to you one more. There's probably a couple sections I'm going to read to you one more time out of this, uh, this particular part. We're not done yet. Bear with me. Quote, democracy has never been and never can be so durable as aristocracy or monarchy, but while it lasts, it is more bloody than either. End quote. Does that sound like a country you want to live in? So when all the charlatans and the snake oil salesmen, a.k.a. the politicians, get up there and start talking about our democracy, or they refer to the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. as a temple of democracy, boy, there's a... If only if only John Adams were alive to hear those words said, I don't know whether he... I don't know what he would do first, start screaming or throw up. When they start saying things like that about our democracy, or people in the news start talking about our democracy as they are wont to do, uneducated as they are, do they have any idea what John Adams is talking about? One more time, loud and proud, quote, Democracy has never been and never can be so durable as aristocracy or monarchy, but while it lasts, it is more bloody than either, end quote. That doesn't sound like a day that I want to live. That doesn't sound like the kind of country I want to live in. That doesn't sound like the kind of government that I want. Now, either John Adams is dumber than a bag of hammers, or he's on to something here. And my best guess, based on everything that I've read from the Founding Fathers, which is a lot, by the way, and everything that I have read from John Adams, which is volumes, I think he's on to something here. And we best pay attention, otherwise we are going to walk ourselves right into this bloody nightmare that John Adams is talking about. And if that's what you want, keep following the politicians that talk about democracy. Now you know why, perhaps, that every time one of those morons says the word democracy to describe the United States of America, it makes my blood boil. Because I know what they're, they're doing. They're doing one or two things. They're either dumber than crap, or they're trying to walk us down this bloody path that John Adams is talking about. In either case, these are dangerous people, and they need to be educated. Unfortunately, they're too wrapped up in their own ego and their own personality to actually go get educated. These people think they're the smartest people on the planet.
And they've got nothing to learn from John Adams. Well, I don't feel that way. I feel like I have a lot to learn from John Adams, and I hope you do as well. So let's continue reading. Or actually, let's let's revisit... Um, before I continue on with the quote, there was one more line in here I wanted to uh, focus on. Quote, I have since seen an alphabetical dictionary of the names and qualities of persons mangled and bleeding victims of democratic rage and popular fury in France during the despotism of democracy in that country, which Napoleon ought to have to be immortalized for calling ideology, end quote. Mm, boy. Mangled and bleeding victims of democratic rage. And isn't that an accurate description of what democracy truly is? Mob rule. And the mob is going to come for somebody or some group of people eventually. And what's going to be the result of the mob? Quote, mangled and bleeding victims of democratic rage and popular fury, end quote. Does that sound like the kind of government that you want to live under? No. But the politicians tell us every day that that's our government. The people in the news media tell us every day that's our government. These people are sick and twisted individuals most days. They don't give a crap about the reality of the situation. They really don't care. Because they think somehow they're going to escape being one of the mangled and bleeding victims of democratic rage and popular fury. Somehow they think they're going to escape it. Didn't work out so well in France, did it? We're going to talk about that here in a minute. Because he mentioned Napoleon. Did you catch that? Interesting. And it's an interesting thing he says about Napoleon, quote, "...mangled and bleeding victims of democratic rage and popular fury in France during the despotism of democracy in that country which Napoleon ought to be immortalized for calling ideology." End quote. So understand, when these people say democracy, when these politicians, these charlatans, start talking democracy, what they're really talking about is ideology, as apparently Napoleon called it. And John Adams is backing him up. Whenever John Adams is backing up Napoleon, it makes me want to pay attention. Despotism of democracy. What is a despotism? De Some people don't know that term because it's not taught in school anymore. Despotism is a kind of tyranny, oppression, it's a, or a government that is has as one of its hallmarks the process of oppressing a group of people or an entire country of people. How could you possibly have a despotism of democracy, somebody might ask. Because democracy, isn't that freedom? Isn't that our way of life? Isn't that our government? No, it's not. Actually, I should rephrase. It's slowly becoming our way of government. It's slowly becoming the way of life in the United States. And if you wonder why things might feel a little bit askew in the United States today, now you know why. Continuing on, quote, This work is in two printed volumes in octavo, as large as Johnson's Dictionary and is in the library of our late and excellent Vice President Elbridge Gerry, where I hope it will be preserved with anxious care. An edition of it ought to be printed in America, otherwise it will be forever suppressed. France will never dare look at it. The Democrats themselves could not bear the sight of it. They prohibited and suppressed it as far as they could. It contains an immense number of as great and good men as France ever produced. We curse the Inquisition and the Jesuits, and yet the Inquisition and the Jesuits are restored. We curse religiously the memory of Mary for burning good men in Smithfield, when, if England had then been democratical, she would have burned many more. And we murder many more by the guillotine in the later years of the 18th century." End quote. Interesting. So he's talking about these two printed volumes that he's talking about here. The, 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 you know, this uh, names and qualities of persons mangled and bleeding victims of democratic rage and popular fury. And he says about it, quote, and is in the library of our late and excellent Vice President Elbridge Gerry, where I hope it will be preserved with anxious care. And an edition of it ought to be printed in America, otherwise it will be forever suppressed, end quote. Now, why would it be suppressed? Why would anybody want to hide the truth of what that says? 
Why would anybody want to hide the truth of what John Adams is describing right here? No, I mean, it's a conspiracy theory after all, right? I mean, isn't John Adams just a conspiracy theorist? Didn't we talk about that? Again, people sometimes wonder why I do these episodes that I do. Why in the world is Roman talking about? Why did he do an episode called Conspiracy Theory versus Conspiracy Fact? Why did he do that? What in the world is he talking about? Because how easy would it be for somebody to say that John Adams is a conspiracy theorist? Because isn't that what he's describing here? Quote, I hope it will be preserved with anxious care. An edition of it ought to be printed in America, otherwise it will be forever suppressed. End quote. Suppressed by whom? Who's going to do the suppressing? Why would they suppress it? Surely John Adams is exaggerating here. He's just a conspiracy theorist. Is this conspiracy of suppression out there? It's never going to happen. How dare John Adams be a conspiracy theorist such as he is? I say sarcastically. I did that episode about conspiracy theory versus conspiracy fact because, again, I'm trying to, I'm just, it was, it was in preparation for moments like this to draw, to draw a contrast, or not to draw a contrast, but to draw attention to this bizarre thing that we do in this country where we don't like to think that anybody is up to something nefarious. I mean, unless we just really hate them, and then, of course, they're up to, that's all they do is nefarious activity. But if we like them, well, it's just a conspiracy theory. Just ignore it. That's all. Okay. Now, some people might rebel at the notion of this quotation from this, uh, this document. Quote, The Democrats themselves could not bear the sight of it. They prohibited and suppressed it as far as they could. End quote. So talking about the suppression, who's going to do the suppression? Quote, Democrats. End quote. Oh my gosh, Roman, are you getting partisan? No, I'm just reading from John Adams here. I'm not going to, I'm not going to dig too deep into that. But I mean, you, you could, you could imagine why a group of people called, quote, Democrats, end quote, would be opposed to the airing of this problem that we have with democracy being a, quote, despotism of democracy, end quote, and also leading to, quote, mangled and bleeding victims of democratic rage and popular fury, end quote. Just putting it out there. I mean, they, they, they bear the name of this system of government that John Adams finds so repulsive, so much of a problem. And again, either John Adams is dumber than a bag of hammers or he's onto something. The problem with that is, is Benjamin Franklin, too, would have to be dumber than a bag of hammers. Otherwise, why would he say when somebody asked him, what kind of government do we have? And he says, a republic, if you can keep it. Why didn't he say democracy? Gee, I wonder. Probably because he was thinking the same kind of thing that John Adams is thinking right here. Let us continue. Quote, you say I might have exhibited millions of plebeians sacrificed to the pride, folly, and ambition of monarchy and aristocracy. This is very true. And I might have exhibited... As many millions of plebeians sacrificed by the pride, folly, and ambition of their fellow plebeians, and their own, in proportion to the extent and duration of their power. Remember, democracy never lasts long. It soon wastes, exhausts, and murders itself. There never was a democracy yet that did not commit suicide. It is in vain to say that democracy is less vain, less proud, less selfish, less ambitious, or less avarice than aristocracy or monarchy. It is not true, in fact, and nowhere appears in history. Those passions are the same in all men, under all forms of simple government, and when unchecked, produce the same effects of fraud, violence, and cruelty. When clear prospects are opened before vanity, pride, avarice, or ambition, for their easy gratification... It is hard for the most considerate philosophers and the most conscientious moralists to resist the temptation. Individuals have conquered themselves, nations and large bodies of men never, end quote. Individuals have conquered themselves. So let me read this beginning section again because it's interesting and you really have to focus on what he's saying to understand what he's saying. 
Quote, you say I might have exhibited millions of plebeians sacrificed to the pride, folly, and ambition of monarchy and aristocracy. This is very true. And I might have exhibited as many millions plebeians sacrificed by the pride, folly, and ambition of their fellow plebeians and to their own in proportion to the extent and duration of their power. End quote. So he's saying that in some previous writing of his, he had written of the various crimes of aristocracy and monarchy, but he could have just as easily, just as easily written of the crimes, the same kind of crimes committed by, quote, many millions of plebeians sacrificed by the pride, folly, and ambition of their fellow plebeians, end quote. And what does he mean by that, by their fellow plebeians? He's talking about democracy. Because isn't that what democracy is? is, is it's the mob. Popular fury. Democratic rage. We talked about it in the previous section. Quote, mangled and bleeding victims of democratic rage and popular fury. End quote. So he's talking about these people gathering together in the mob, the mob of plebeians, that is to say, ordinary people, gathering together in the mob to commit the various crimes that democratic rage and popular fury often commit. And what, what is that? Well, he mentions it earlier. Quote, and we murder many more by the guillotine in the later years of the 18th century, end quote. He's talking about the French Revolution. Wasn't that popular fury, democratic rage? You ever wonder why the French Revolution looks so much different than the uh, revolution in the United States of America? Why, let's read just a little bit more. This is going to be a bonus paragraph from John Adams. What can I say of the democracy of France? Dare I dare not write what I think and what I know. Were Brissot... Condorcet, Danton Robespierre, and Monseigneur Agalete, less ambitious than Caesar, Alexander, or Napoleon? Were Dumouriez, Pichgaru, Maru, less generals, less conquerors, or in the end less fortunate than the last was? What was the ambition of this democracy? Nothing less than to propagate itself, its principles, its system through the world, to decapitate all the kings, destroy all the nobles and priests in Europe, and who were the instruments employed by the mountebanks behind the scene to accomplish these sublime, sublime purposes? The firewomen, the bedauds, the stage players, the atheists, the deists, the scribblers, for any cause, at three liveries a day, the Jews, and oh, that I could not erase from my memory the learned divines, profound students in the prophecies, real philosophers and sincere Christians in amazing numbers all over Europe and America who were hurried away by the torrent of contagious enthusiasm. Democracy is changeable with all the blood that has been spilled for five and twenty years. Napoleon and all his generals were but creatures of democracy, as really as Rienzi, Theodore, Massianello, Jack Cade, or Watt Tyler. This democratical hurricane, inundation, earthquake, pestilence, call it what you will, at last aroused and alarmed all the world and produced a combination unexampled to prevent its further progress, end quote. Wow. So he describes democracy as, quote, this democratical hurricane, inundation, earthquake, pestilence, call it what you will, end quote. Pestilence. That, that implies some kind of a disease. Democracy is almost like a disease. That is very interesting. And quote, at last aroused and alarmed all the world and produced a combination unexampled to prevent its further progress. End quote. That is to say, to keep it from spreading. 
So what's he saying in this paragraph here? Actually, it's uh, two paragraphs that I read. What's he saying about the uh, democracy of France? Nothing good. Does, does any of this sound like the form of government that you want to have in the United States? Does it sound like that John Adams intended for us to live under democracy? Do you think John Adams would approve of all these politicians, these cheats, these liars, these corrupt people running around saying that, oh, this is a democracy. Welcome to our democracy. We got to participate in a democracy. Really? I don't think John Adams would approve of that. This is not a democracy. This is a republic. What's the difference? Well, there are differences. Does a republic have some institutions that look similar to democracy? Of course it does. John Adams talked about that. I believe I'm paraphrasing slightly, but he re he referred to the House of Representatives as the most democratical institution in the federal government. And of course it is, because it's direct election by the people. And why is that? Because it was the closest to the people. There are many more representatives in the House than there are in the Senate. As of right now, last I checked, 435 in the House, 100 in the Senate. That means that each representative represents fewer people than a senator, because there's just simply more of them to spread out across the population of the United States which means that they are, in fact, closer to the people, although given the populations that they represent, it's hundreds of thousands of people. They're not really that close to the people, unfortunately. The population is just too, do too doggone big for this. And by the way, we're going to get into that in some future episodes. Somebody from the founding generation wrote about that, and they predicted a problem. And boy, were they right. So get ready for that episode. It's coming down the pike. But this country was supposed to be a republic, despite its similarity to some democratical institution in some respects, namely the House of Representatives. The Senate was not supposed to be that way. The presidency was not supposed to be that way. The Supreme Court is not supposed to be that way. I mean, what are we going to do next? Suggest that we switch to a popular vote of Supreme Court justices? There's a disaster waiting to happen. And I'm not thrilled with the process that we go through right now for that. And frankly speaking, I'm not really a big fan of the court system in this country for any number of really good reasons. I've talked about a little, a little bit about that before. Their propensity to just read things into the Constitution that simply are not there, like separation of church and state. We've talked about that. It's not there. I don't care how hard you read that Constitution and how you manipulate the words, and unless you're just lying through your teeth, it's not there. But before I get sidetracked and off-topic, we're talking about democracy here. So John Adams, I mean, in that, in that, just that one letter, he just rails on democracy, just rails on it again and again and again, talking about democracy commits suicide. Now, why is that? Why do democracy, why, why does he say things like, and I'm paraphrasing, there isn't a democracy yet that didn't commit suicide? Why does he say that? The answer is because he really believes it to be true. And if John Adams is saying it, I'm going to listen, because I think John Adams knows what he's talking about. You can tell by his writing that he, he knows what he's talking about. He, he, he cites all these figures from history and in France. He talks, he talks at some length about the, this failed democracy in France during the Revolution. Talks about how Napoleon was really just a product of democracy. What was, what was Napoleon? He was a dictator, wasn't he? Last I checked, he was a dictator. A military dictator, of all things. Set himself up to be emperor of France, did he not? Yes, he did. Had a couple of wives along the way. One of them hailed from the Habsburgs over there in Austria. But I certainly disagree, as I believe John Adams would, I think I made that plain. All of this talk about democracy, democracy, democracy in this country is foolish at best. It either reveals the immense stupidity of the politicians and the people in the media, or it's revealing of a nefarious enterprise to try to turn this country into some kind of mob rule, which is never a good idea. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. There is a uh, fairly good discussion from John Adams, our uh, guest on the podcast here today. 
on democracy. So our uh, our participant on the study group, SMS as I call them, uh, because I don't have a better name to go with, wanted to hear some discussion about democracy, so we went ahead and did that. And there's going to be more to come. There's, there's, there's much more in the writings about this kind of thing. And some people are misguided about democracy, even amongst the Founding Fathers generation. This isn't a, a universal thing, but for the most part, I believe the best of them were certainly very much against any kind of democracy, and much more favored a republic and a republic of laws. Law and order, a republic of laws, and what is the law of the land, the Constitution of the United States of America, and in my opinion, also at the same time, the Declaration of Independence, as the founding document of the United States of America. And, you know, you're going to hear me say this a lot over the months and years. The Constitution of the United States of America is not the founding document of this country. It's not. It's the founding document of the federal government. The Declaration of Independence is the founding document of the United States of America. That's the way that it is. And how do we keep the United States of America? How do we live up to the standard of a Benjamin Franklin when he says, a republic, if you can keep it? When he said that to somebody who asked him, how do we do that? That's fine, Dr. Franklin. We understand. We need to keep the republic, but how do we do that? Answer, a firm and strict adherence to the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States of America, most notably the Bill of Rights. If you do not believe in the Bill of Rights in any way, shape, or form, or you stand firmly against the First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States of America, number one, you're not an American. Number two, you are a secessionist. No better than the, sec the secessionists of the past. If you hate the First Amendment, if you want to remove the United States from the First Amendment, you are a secessionist. You are advocating for the secession of the United States of America from the Constitution, from the Bill of Rights, from the Declaration of Independence. And that is a problem. And there are a great many of those people in the United States, make no mistake. There are many millions of them. Millions and millions of them. Some of them are just misguided because this stuff doesn't get taught anymore. There is no comprehensive civics, government, or class on the Founding Fathers in the public school system. It simply does not exist unless there's just one school district out there that's doing it. This is a problem. This is a huge problem. You will not be reading these letters. Your children will not be reading these letters like the one that I just wrote you in their history classes in high school or college. It will not happen. I can almost, almost guarantee it. It's possible they may run into it in college, but honestly, I sincerely doubt it. Not a lot of people signing up to take in-depth history classes in college. And frankly speaking, the history department isn't exactly the most popular department on campus. I know because I was there. I didn't work in the history department, but I was on campus. That's what I mean when I say that. And I've been on more than one college campus in my life. I've attended classes at, again, four colleges and universities. And I'm telling you, the history department is not the most popular department on, on campus. It just isn't. So if you want to learn this stuff, if you want your children to learn this stuff, or you know somebody who needs to learn this stuff, which would be, I don't know, at least 330 million Americans, or if you really want to say it, frankly speaking, the, the people that I think need to learn this stuff is about, well, 8 billion people. So if you, if you know somebody amongst the 8 billion that need to learn this stuff, but they don't have a lot of time... They don't want to crack open the books because it takes a lot of time to track down these books. Believe me, I know. I've been there. And it takes a long time to pull the research and to sift through all of the books and the letters that are just kind of rambling on about nothing because there's a lot of that stuff out there. And they want to skip the, the talk about George Washington and his crops and writing to his friends and neighbors about his crops and, his, and, and all the rest of it. This podcast is a perfectly wonderful place to go. I make it as easy as I possibly can to pull this research for you, for all of you, for myself and share it with you. 
and we can have a good discussion about it. Those who leave a review on the podcast can provide some input and give us some direction for what maybe might be coming up on a future episode of the podcast, just like we did here today. But I hope you found this episode of the podcast informative somewhat and got to listen to a little bit about what John Adams has to say, a little bit more in-depth than anything that we've talked about so far about democracy. There's more that he wrote about it, you know, and the overall theme that I come away with whenever whenever I think about all of the various things that he's written about it and other people have written about it is that, you know, best to stay away from democracy. Not a good idea. Now, it's fine. I'm fine with there being some democratical components of government like the House of Representatives, which, again, as best as I can recall, is how John Adams had described it. That's fine. But that's just one little piece of the puzzle. And when we go try to mess around with the ingredients of that recipe that the Founding Fathers created, we're not doing ourselves any favors. You know, make no mistake, this this movement to try to elect a president of the United States by popular vote instead of electoral college is an attempt to try to push this country further into democracy. That is to say, a despotism of democracy, as John Adams would say. Bad, bad idea. That's why I say all 330 million people in this country need to learn this material, because otherwise, how do you know that? How do you know where this goes, what the direction of this really is, and what we should be doing versus what we are doing? How do you know any of that without reading this material? And the answer is, you don't, unless you just happen to have a good barometer for this kind of thing. And, and frankly speaking, most Americans don't, as best as I can tell. But we will continue to march on, and we will continue to help America and the rest of the world learn about what the Founding Fathers had to say on these issues and so many more as we uh, continue to continue the march towards uh, working on this podcast. And I, I certainly appreciate every single one of you joining me on this episode of the podcast. Every single one of you who uh, regularly download and participate in the study group are very valuable to this material getting out there and providing a voice for the Founding Fathers. Again, without you, the voice of the Founding Fathers dies a slow death over time. So you are very much carrying on what they started. That's an important job in history. In the history of the world, that is an important job. So I thank you for doing it, and I thank you for taking your time on this podcast and also for sharing the podcast with anybody else. That's how, that's how, the, that's how this material gets, really gets out there is when you share it with other folks. Because, uh, again, I, I don't have a marketing department to do that, and there probably is not a single podcast platform where you will find this podcast that's actually going to push, push it out there in any meaningful way and advertise it and all the rest. It's just not going to happen probably. So that's up to uh, that's up to the listeners of the podcast to do, and, and some of you folks do a really good job with that, and I greatly appreciate it. So I hope I'll see you all here on the next episode of the podcast. It's going to be an interesting discussion, I think. I'm going to try to talk about, again, Veterans Day from a, a little bit of a different perspective. And yes, it does tie into what the Founding Fathers were talking about. It is very much a Founding Fathers topic because it's uh, it pertains to national security, the national defense, the general defense, as uh, some of the Founding Fathers may have described it. Those things that that the constant that they that they wrote in the Constitution that tell us what we should be doing are important, and we have to talk about it. And I figured, you know, this time period around Veterans Day is a perfect opportunity to talk a little bit about some of the stuff that's going on that affects it. So, with all of that said, this is Roman signing off. Thank you. <laughs>